Trent Griffith says, there's an important question you need to think about. Do you know who Jesus is? Accurately answering Jesus's question, who do you say I am, changes everything I believe about who I am. If you say Jesus is Christ the Lord, That means he gets the authority to define who I am. This is not an inconsequential statement. It changes everything about you. And once you are convinced of who Jesus is, you surrender to Jesus the right to determine who you are. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. John Newton is best known for writing the beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. But there's another hymn that Newton also wrote. It goes like this. What think you of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. As Jesus appears in your view, as he is beloved or not, So God is disposed to you, and mercy or wrath is your lot. Now, a few centuries later, another pastor, Trent Griffith, is addressing the same question in a series of messages based on a question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Here's Pastor Trent. Good morning. Do you have your Bible open? Guess where? Gospel of Luke. Everybody open the Gospel of Luke. And uh, about mm, six months ago, in the month of December, when the weather was really cold, we opened to the first verse of the book of Luke. And we said, we're going through it, straight through it, verse by verse. And so we're about at chapter nine. But if you've been along with us through that journey, what you have discovered is that Luke is writing to answer a very specific question that his friend Theo is asking and Jesus is asking of his disciples. We're going to see that question here this morning in Luke chapter 9. But before we get there, I want you to go all the way back to chapter 2. And we're going to briefly survey what we've learned so far. Does anybody know in popular culture what an Easter egg is? Now, if you're thinking of like a a hard-boiled egg that you paint and hide for children to find, that's not what I'm talking about. Do you know what an Easter egg is in a movie or a a series or something like that? It's something that the, the screenwriter or the author will drop along the way as just little hints, little clues to kind of connect the dots so that when the whole picture Unvelops, you'll be able to go back and it's like, oh, I remember this that connected to that and this other movie over here and that one that was 25 years ago. And what we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke is Luke has dropped Easter eggs for us all along the way so that when we see the culmination this morning, we'll go back and it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I see what he was doing there. Now, do you want to see it? It's all wrapped up in the little word, who. 
That's the Easter egg that he drops all along the book. So go back to chapter 2, and the question that Jesus has asked is this. Most important question in human history, who do you say I am? And how you answer that question determines everything about you. So Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And yet Luke has been dropping Easter eggs all along the way to answer the question. Luke chapter 2, look at what the angel said in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior Who is Christ the Lord? Angels know the answer to that question. What's the answer to the question? Jesus is Christ the Lord. Not only do angels know the answer to that question, demons know the answer to that question. Keep going in Luke. Flip over to chapter 4. You got your Bible up? Look at chapter 4. Skip all the way down to verse 34. And notice we have a quote from a demon in the Bible. Ha! Wouldn't you expect the first word of the demon to be ha? That's what he says. Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. What's the answer to the question? Who do you say that I am? He's the Holy One of God. Even the demons know that. Now let your eyes go to chapter 5. Go all the way down to verse 21. And we're introduced to these scribes and Pharisees that are learning who Jesus is. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying... Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is Jesus? Oh, he must be God because he forgives sins. Look at chapter 7. Keep going. Flip the page. Don't you love that that sound in church? You hear that sound? That's a cool sound, right? Look over at chapter 7. Look at verse 20. The disciples of John come to the disciples of Jesus, and they've got questions about who Jesus is. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look to another? And so they knew the Old Testament was pointing us to who Jesus was. And they said, are you who those prophets were talking about? Skip down to chapter 7, verse 49. And some more Pharisees gather for a dinner party at Simon the Pharisee's house. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And then chapter 8, verse 25. This is after Jesus is in the boat and the storm comes up and Jesus calms the storm and the disciples were with him and he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that even commands the winds and the waters and they obey him? All along the way, Luke is introducing us to this Jesus who forgives sins, who is the Holy One, who is Christ the Lord, who even makes demons fear and tremble, who calms the winds and the waves. And then finally, the ultimate political figure, King Herod, in verse 9 of chapter 9. Let your eyes fall on that. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this? about whom I hear such things. And he sought to see him. Do you seek to see him this morning? Do you, do you know the answer to the question? Do you know who Jesus is? Understand this. Accurately answering Jesus' question, who do you say I am, 
changes everything I believe about who I am. If you know who Jesus is, you give up the right to determine who you are. If you say Jesus is Christ the Lord, that means he gets the authority to define who I am. This is not an inconsequential statement. It changes everything about you. And once you are convinced of who Jesus is, you surrender to Jesus the right to determine who you are. And here's the great thing about true disciples. When true disciples answer Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Do you know what true disciples do? They turn and flip the question back to Jesus. Once true disciples accurately answer the question, who do you say that I am? They ask Jesus, Jesus, who do you say I am? You have the right to define everything about me. So do you know him? Do you know the answer to the question? Is he defining who you are? Is he changing who you are? I have never watched an entire episode of The Bachelorette. And I hope you haven't either. But I understand this season's episodes are a little controversial. Because The Bachelorette in this year's season identifies as a Christian. And she's been very bold about her faith in her allegiance to Jesus. But this has created a little bit of tension because she also has been very physically involved with some of the bachelor, 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 what do you call those guys? Bachelors, right? That are are suiting her and courting her. And so there are scenes that are like less than like appropriate. And so, but I'm a Christian and yet this is what, what we do. And And so she does an interview, and the interviewer asks her to resolve some of the tension. And this is what the bachelorette says. She says, regardless of anything I have done, I can do whatever. I sin daily, and Jesus still loves me. That's true. It's all washed If the Lord doesn't judge me and it's all forgiven, then no man, no woman, nothing can judge me. Nobody's going to judge me. I won't stand for it. Now listen, that is, that is true. I am not the judge, the bachelorette. You are not the judge. There's only one judge. We'll all stand before the judge. But the bachelorette's Identification as a Christian misses and ignores Jesus' demands on her discipleship. And she's just the latest in high-profile people that attach the name of Jesus to themselves. And yet then they become the spokesman for what genuine Christianity is. And my concern is there's a bunch of 13-year-olds in my church that are thinking that's what you're supposed to be and do. And that's, and, and that's like the theology that we all lean into. Listen, we need to understand something. 
if the bachelorette knows who Jesus is, and apparently she says she does, I know who Jesus is, he's the one that, that forgives sin, and he's the one that washes me, and he's the one that removes my stain, and he's the one that removes my guilt. But if you know that, you can't live the same way you lived before you knew that. Jesus places demands on those who call themselves true disciples. And apparently, the bachelorette doesn't know what Jesus says are the marks of a true disciple. What she's saying is, though I know that Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sin and he spilled his blood to give me all of him, he doesn't expect anything from me. And he has no right to determine what I do with anything in my life, including my sexuality. And I can do whatever. That is a wrong understanding of what it means to be a true disciple. Christ will not allow you to claim him as a part of your life without being the center of your life. There are people here today who call yourselves Christians and yet after you spend a couple hours in church, there will be no discernible difference from the way you think, the way you talk, and the way you live from people that don't identify themselves as Christians. And you need to understand what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Your supposed relationship with Jesus, if it doesn't daily alter the way you live, you have no right to call yourself a Christian. You may, you may think you know who he is, but you don't really know. If you know who he is, it is going to have massive implications about who you think you are. And so we need to understand that giving Christ our lives means we give him everything. Let's talk about that. Let's look at these Three calls to genuine discipleship. First of all, there is the confession of a true disciple. We're here in Luke chapter 9. This is the pinnacle of the book of Luke. Everything from the beginning to this point has led to this pinnacle statement. Everything hinges in the book of Luke from this point forward. Everything hinges on this paragraph. Verse 18. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. Does that seem a little weird to you? Jesus was praying alone with the disciples. I think that just simply means Jesus was so consumed with the presence of his father, he was having this great conversation with God, he was oblivious to the fact that there were disciples all around him. And then yet, after he communes with God, Jesus turns his attention to the disciples and says this. He asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? You know, the crowds have opinions about who Jesus is too, Right? I mean, Jesus is the most polarizing figure in human history. Donald Trump is second, Jesus is first, okay? <laughs> Jesus polarized everybody. You drop Jesus' name in the middle of a crowd and people slide to one side or the other, right? As it should be. Jesus doesn't leave any room for middle ground and yet that's the place that so many people want to be. And Jesus will not allow you to stay on the fence about who he is. Is. And so the crowds have some opinions about who Jesus is. And he asked the disciples, who are the crowds saying I am? And they answer him in verse 19. They answered John the Baptist. That's one option. The others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. So what the disciples say is, you know what, Jesus, you're polling really well in the crowds. 
They think you're a good man who speaks for God. That's what a prophet is. A prophet is a good man who speaks for God. And you got three options. We got a really good man, John the Baptist, and he spoke for God. And you got Elijah, he's like the famous, most powerful, flame throwing prophet of the Old Testament. And uh, they think you, you know, you're on par with him because you got these power and miraculous abilities. And then you got other disciples that were really bold. You got Jeremiah and Isaiah and all kinds of people in the Old Testament. And, and you're polling really well. They have an elevated opinion of you. And so the crowds say, Jesus is a good man who speaks for God. But that is not the right answer to the question of who Jesus is. Do you understand that in order to be a disciple, you have to be willing to hold a minority opinion in answer to this question? In our culture, the crowds will say, Jesus is a good man, maybe even a good man who spoke for God. But, you know, he's got some antiquated beliefs about sexuality and marriage, and he's got some antiquated views about, you know, this exclusive, exclusivity about who's getting into heaven and, and, you know, whether or not there's a hell or not, that's kind of for debate. And, and so the crowds may say he's a good man, he's just not, he's not a God man. And Jesus is pressing them further. As a matter of fact, he goes on and says in the next verse, then he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Jesus is pressing them. You see, in order to be a disciple, you have to be willing to go against the crowd. And in our culture today, we have now moved past the point where affirming Jesus will get you the approval of the crowd. There was a day in our culture where it was just kind of like, it's a Christian country and you're supposed to be a Christian and go with the flow. Uh, we've, we've devolved beyond that point now. And yet now, in order to identify with Jesus as a true disciple and embrace him as everything he says he is, is not going to get you the preferred job promotion. It's not going to make you captain of the team. As a matter of fact, you're going to start paying a price. You're going to be opposed. You're going to be marginalized. You're going to be rejected. You could be fired. You could be imprisoned. And it could get even worse. You could be beheaded. At some point in the future, that may be coming. You say, this is so depressing. I didn't want to hear this when I come to... No, no, no. This is good news. This is good news for the church. You know Why? It means that all the phony, baloney, nominal Christians, and when I say nominal Christian, I mean in name only, that means that they will stop identifying with Jesus. As soon as they have to pay a price, as soon as there's opposition, as soon as there's a cost, they will go away. They will sleep in on Sunday mornings and they will stop deluding the congregation of the disciples of Jesus that have come to worship him. Now, obviously, we're, our, this is a public worship service. We want as many non-believers and outsiders to come in here so we can tell them the gospel so they can become true believers of Jesus. But those that sit in the middle that think they are disciples and yet do not let Jesus have the center of their lives and change everything about them, they will stop coming, at least here. And you know what our congregation will be? Our congregation may be fewer, but it will be truer. Because non-believing Christians, understand that word? Nominal Christians, unbelievers who identify as Christians, they'll get smoked out. 
when there's pressure and opposition and persecution, when it's no longer politically expedient to name the name of Christ. That is the call of true discipleship, to confess something different than the crowd believes about Jesus. By the way, what's the question here? What's the answer to the question? We need to answer the question. There is an answer to the question. Peter, the disciple, answers the question. Here's the answer to the question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, I say, you are the Christ of God. Do you know how much power there is packed in those four little words? Peter didn't say you're a Christ. He said you're the Christ, the exclusive representative sent from God by God as God to reconcile us to God. You say, I'm confused. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a little confused about the Trinity. But it also means that we rest in the truth that there is a representative sent from God, by God, as God, to reconcile us to God, the Christ. The, the word Christ, it's not Jesus' last name. Does everybody understand that? It's not Jesus' last name, all right? It's a title. It actually might better go in front. The same way we would say President Trump or President Obama, we would say Christ Jesus. It's a title. And what it means is Messiah. It means rescuer. And so God has sent the rescuing Christ to redeem and save sinners, very specific purpose, sinners from sin. Now, Peter didn't understand all the implications of what he was saying. We're going to find out that in just a minute. But everybody in human history has looked for a Christ, even atheists. You say, well, what do you mean? People are looking for something or someone to rescue them. Rescue them from their anger, their temper, their money problems, their health crisis, their relational issues in marriage. And, and everybody here today is looking for a Christ. The problem is, is we look, too sha- we, we look too shallow. We think our deepest problems are our money issues or our anger issues or our relational issues. And our issues are so much deeper than that. Most people never look for a Christ at the deepest level of their need. And what Peter was saying is, we need somebody to rescue us. But probably in Peter's mind, in the disciples' mind, in the crowd's mind, they were thinking their deepest problem was, we're the people of God, and yet we're under Roman oppression. We need a political Christ. We we need somebody to obliterate Herod. We need we need an opposing army to liberate us, our country, and that's what we that's what we really need. And Jesus didn't come to be a political savior. He came for a very specific purpose to rescue sinners from their worst enemy, not the Roman government, from their sin. And because of their sin, their worst enemy was themselves. And because their selves had sinned, their actual worst enemy at their deepest level was who? God. They had made themselves enemies of God. And they needed a Christ to rescue them from God. They were standing under the judgment of God. And if you have not yet received Christ, you are standing under the judgment of God. The question is, do you know who can save you from the judgment of God? The answer is Christ. 
But most people never look for a Christ to save themselves from the judgment of God because they don't think that's their problem. They think their problem is their low bank account or the fact they don't have a boyfriend. Most people don't look for Christ because they never look at their sin. And Peter was identifying Jesus was the one, the only one, sent by God to rescue them from the judgment of God. That's the confession of a true disciple. Have you, have you connected those dots? Have you publicly confessed, I am in need of a rescue from the judgment of God because of my sin, and I'm confessing Christ as the only one who can rescue me from my sin and the judgment of God. Have you made that confession? It's a public confession. And it goes so much deeper than saying, now I can do whatever I want to. I believe everything that you say. True discipleship implies you and I will wrestle with that all-important question of who Jesus is. We've been listening to the senior pastor of Gospel City Church, Trent Griffith, and he'll conclude his message next week right here on Resonate. Well, this weekend, our nation is celebrating Independence Day, but let's never forget our dependence on God. If you're looking for a church home, we love to welcome you at Gospel City Church. Sunday, July 5th is our first day to resume in-person worship gatherings since March. Our new times are 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And we're so thankful to be able to see each other and worship next to one another again. This season has allowed us to accelerate the construction on our new worship center. So we have a lot of new things happening at Gospel City Church this weekend. For more information about worship times and what to expect when you arrive, just look us up at mygospelcity.org together. Again, that's mygospelcity.org together. And why not follow us on Facebook for more great content? Just search for My Gospel City. So what's the difference between being a true follower of Jesus and taking a course on self-improvement? Well, that's something Pastor Trent will talk about next week on Resonate. I'm Aaron Paulus. Have a safe rest of your weekend. Now, at the beginning of today's Resonate episode, I quoted from a lesser-known song by John Newton, and I'd like to close today's program reading some more from that hymn, What Think You of Christ? It goes on to say this, Some take him a creature to be, a man or an angel at most. Sure, these have not feelings like me, nor know themselves wretched and lost. Some call him a savior in word, but mix their own works with his plan, and hope he his help will afford when they have done all that they can. Some style him the pearl of great price, and say he's the fountain of joys, yet feed upon folly and vice 
and cleave to the world and its toys. Like Judas, the Savior they kiss, and while they salute him, betray. Ah, what will profession like this avail in that terrible day? If asked what of Jesus I think, though still my best thoughts are but poor, I say he's my meat and my drink, my life and my strength and my store, my shepherd, my husband, my friend, my savior from sin and from thrall, my hope from beginning to end, my portion, my Lord and my all. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.